This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. Glad to have you on this Monday drive, WSJS, News Talk Sports for the Triad, where as we prepare for tonight's national championship game in Houston, sometimes things are exactly as they seem and there's no need to overthink it. If there's somebody at your work, in your office, who's just the worst all the time, maybe that's who he is. You don't need to look into it as, well, is it me? Or maybe... Every day is just the worst day for him. Shout out to Office Space. We don't like simple in sports. When we see an entire panel of experts picking the same way, whether it be college game day or NFL studio shows or somewhere else, we all have that same thought. Uh Uh-oh. Which is why some are nervous about everybody being on UConn tonight. Don't be. It's not sexy. It's not even all that interesting to say. But UConn's the right choice. They're going to be the national champions tonight, and I don't really think it's going to be all that close. This Huskies team hasn't just been dominant in the context of this tournament. They have been historically dominant since the tournament expanded in 1985. So we're talking about close to 40 years now. This Husky team, just the sixth squad to win their first five games by double digits. And they're not just winning by double digits. They're crushing teams. Their average margin of victory is 20.6 points per win. That puts them in 2001 Duke territory. 2009 Carolina blowing through everybody on their revenge tour on the way to Detroit, beating Michigan State in the championship game by a million and holding up the trophy. That's where this UConn team is statistically. And when you look at those other teams that won by double digits, four of the first five went on to win the title game. The one exception was North Carolina in 2016. The last time the NCAA tournament, the Final Four, was held in Houston. Carolina losing at the buzzer to Villanova. But do you know who had a sense that that might happen? Las Vegas. Given how dominant North Carolina was, you might expect them to be a big favorite against the Wildcats. North Carolina was only that a, cash up, North Carolina was only a two-point favorite in that game. Vegas is a good place to go when trying to get a pulse on a game. There's a reason why they make all that money and build those big old buildings that they have out west. That's where I start in trying to get a feel for a game. And Las Vegas is telling us clearly what's going to happen tonight. UConn is listed according to DraftKings as a a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. That is tied for the largest point spread in a national title game since 1999, close to 25 years. They are the eighth team since that time in 99 to be favored by five points or more in the national title game. You know what happened with the first seven? They all won, and five of the seven covered. So give me UConn. Lay the seven and a half and give me another 10. I think the Huskies are going to win by 15 to 20 points tonight. Like FAU getting into the basketball, 
UConn is able to handle San Diego State's physicality. The teams that they played up to this point have not dealt with that well. Not Alabama, who struggled with that in the regular season with Tennessee and the same in the tournament. San Diego State's gotten some favorable breaks, some favorable matchups. But this is not favorable. FAU actually did a nice job against those San Diego State bigs and with that physicality, and that's why they should have won the game. They were up 14 points. Lost it at the buzzer. They should have won that game. UConn's a lot better than a ninth-seeded Owls team from CUSA, all due respect. They are better equipped with the physicality coming out of the Big East Conference, which likes to mix it up as well. Sonogo and Caravan, these are guys they can just throw at San Diego State. They're going to have no problem playing the way that San Diego State wants to play. So give me the Huskies to win this game big. It's not sexy because everybody's on them, but... UConn is the right choice. Sometimes you look at things and you don't need to overthink it. Sometimes things are exactly the way that they seem. On Twitter at WSJS Radio, if you want in, that's also where we're streaming video. In addition to YouTube and Twitch, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Will Dalton, the executive producer of this show, who is just counting down the minutes, counting down the hours, 9.20 tip-off time tonight. Oh, it's my favorite part of the national title game. 9-20, where we're starting things off. I mean, this is what we've trained for with The Bachelor, though. That's right. Every Monday night. We had night. the three-hour finale last oh, week that yeah. got us ready. We're, we're really ready. I forgot about no that. No Bachelor this week, but we are well-prepared. Just like UConn's been well-prepared for this moment, we were well-prepared for the 9-20 tip because of the Bachelor nights that we had at my place every night, uh, Monday nights at the crib. Shifting things. The Athletic caught up with Bears GM Ryan Poles and Panthers GM Scott Fitterer to get all the details of what exactly happened, what exactly led to that trade, Carolina getting the number one pick about a month ago. And most of the stuff we already know. It's not particularly newsworthy, but there is one detail that I think I, I didn't know about and I think is very interesting, will be very interesting to, pa- be interesting to fans. The Panthers... They agreed on the compensation of two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a player. But that player wasn't always DJ Moore. Apparently, based on this story, Chicago said, based on their needs, there are three players they'd be interested in bringing in from Carolina to complete this trade. Derek Brown, Brian Burns, or DJ Moore. It seems like Carolina had the choice between one of those three players to send to Chicago, and they chose DJ Moore. Do you think the Panthers got it right? 336-777-1600. I do. I think the Panthers did, because you can replace a receiver in free agency a lot easier than you can replace, through the draft or free agency, a top defensive tackle or top edge rusher. There's a reason why edge rushers become one of the more well-paid positions in the NFL. There's value as quarterback salaries go up and quarterbacks are very valuable and getting that guy pressured and getting him in the dirt. And that's what Brian Burns does really well. There are not a lot of guys like Brian Burns. Derek Brown. You might say, Josh, DJ Moore's a fan favorite. We would rather get rid of Derek Brown than get rid of DJ. You don't see a lot of those great defensive tackles made available either, especially when they're on a rookie deal, which DJ Moore 
is not. The Panthers made the right choice here. You can replace a receiver. They're not nearly as valuable as the defensive tackle. They're not nearly as valuable as certainly the edge rusher. And what has Carolina done since then? Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, Hayden Hurst, Miles Sanders. The quarterback's going to be well-supported in terms of weapons, even though DJ's not there. I think they made the right choice. And now we're looking back on the details. They had talks with the Seattle Seahawks about moving up to five. They had talks with the Cardinals about moving up to three. Thank goodness they didn't do that. Because if you move up to three, you're picking the third best quarterback available. And it seems like Carolina only likes two. If you're moving up to five, you might have to get the fourth best quarterback on the board. If you're going to take a swing, take a real swing. And they got up to the number one pick. Yes, they had to throw DJ Moore in there. They didn't want to do it. But out of the options that were available, the Bears wanting to settle a need with a player. If it was DJ Burns or Derek Brown, I think they made the right choice in sending DJ Moore in the trade. Even though he's perhaps, after Christian McCaffrey was traded, the most popular Carolina Panther for the last couple months of last season. Let's go live to Houston, Texas, site of the college basketball national championship game tonight that you can listen to on WSJS. Our friend Randolph Childress joining the show now. Randolph, since you've got boots on the ground and we've known what this matchup is going to be since late Saturday night, how many people have you spoken to that believes San Diego State is going to win tonight? I don't think many outside of San Diego State's team or family and friends that are here to support the Aztec, but uh, I, th- I do think they have a shot of the teams here at the Final Four. Excuse my voice. Um, physically, they match up. I don't think they can win an 80-point game, but that's not the way they play all year long. They're going to want to control the pace a little bit, maybe make it a half-court game, and if they do so, they, they're the only team that I've seen here that has the bodies, Mensa and Ladie, to play inside against Klingon and, and Sonogo. That's the piece that makes me concerned about San Diego State. FAU, San Diego State. We thought that would be like a fist fight, rock fight type of game. A lot more scoring than we thought, but then the final six and a half minutes was kind of a bit of a slog. Just the fact that UConn, playing in the Big East, is going to be prepared for the physicality of tonight's game. Is that why you probably lean UConn? I do, but I, unlike most, I think the game will be a lot closer than people think. I, I just think that this is the twenty. You know, this is the team like they said to do. I think Dan Hurley said it best. They're older than five NBA teams. I mean, this is a veteran group of men that San Diego State has, and they have the size, they have the physicality um, <clears throat> to, to bother UConn. I mean, I don't know if they're they're not as explosive as UConn can be with Jordan Hawkins on the offensive end, and he gets going. But uh, Matt Bradley played exceptionally well last game, and and Ladie came off the bench, and he was actually the closer for those guys, and he was the backup big, and he's a really physical guy that I think should start just to physically match up with Adama Sonogo. Randolph Childress with us here from Houston. Going back to San Diego State's buzzer-beating win against FAU, you've hit your fair share of important shots at the end of games. So when you're watching it in real time, Lamont Butler – taking it up the floor, almost stepping out of bounds, pulling up, hitting the shot. 
What's going through your mind? Do you feel like he's a player that's in control, or are you thinking this is not the possession that Coach Dutcher wants? Well, let's go back. It was 30. I think FAU had the ball. It was 38, 36 seconds or so left. That's correct. And everybody, there's people around us, and they're yelling, foul, foul, foul. I'm like, no. Like It's like it's only going to be six seconds left. I'm like, that's plenty of time. You only need four seconds to go coast to coast. It's a one-possession game. I'm like, so just you defend this one possession, you push it before they can set their D. So we're kind of having this conversation as they come up the floor, then they call a timeout, they run their set, they don't score. Um, when they rebounded the ball and started pushing it up, I, I thought, okay, I don't know if Lamont – initially, I didn't think he knew the score. Because, I mean, at the time, rather. He just dribbled up and went right toward the side. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's not going to get a shot off. And it literally looked like he was – somebody just yelled, you got to shoot it or something. And he just pulled up and shot his mid-range shot. And hell of a game, hell of a shot. And I know it's something that he'll remember for the rest of his life. But I was more happy about the just it was a great game. I, I there was 70 over 73,000 people there when was so much going on when everybody was talking about is so di- different than last year's, where you had Duke, Carolina, and Kansas and Villanova, and everybody was speculating, like, oh, I don't know if it's gonna be well attended. Well, it was, and it was a great game. How much buzz was there in Houston during the women's national championship game yesterday? I think everybody was watching. I didn't know why it was. I mean, you know, it was in Dallas, so it was a couple of hours away. But um, everybody kind of had a little break in between. And, and uh, I think for the most part, everyone that I knew was, was, you know, enjoying the game. I love it when Caitlin Clark has a little bit of smoke on Friday doing the John right. Cena, you know, right. waving at the screener, begging right. them to shoot. You – you're known for, you know, waving at a yeah, player. I've been known to talk to the trash. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. So when Angel Reese gives it back, I, I'm, I was a little, frankly, I'm not surprised by a lot of things, but I've been surprised by the blowback that I've seen to her giving it back to Caitlin Clark a little bit. How much do you like seeing that element of it on the floor? I love it. And, uh, you know, like you, a little surprised, but then again, in today's time, I'm not. Any idiot with an opinion can form their opinion and kind of, um, you know, make the, you know, just hit a Twitter and send out a tweet and talk about calling a young lady class. These are college kids. And to see some of the response and actions of adults uh, commenting on the women's game, they're competing. One, it tells me you've never played a sport a day in your life, which is part of the problem. And you're commenting on college kids and calling them classless and everything else for talking trash to one another. Uh, Caitlin Clark knows that. She she backs it up. She just got the short end of the stick that night. And everyone else got into that game. And um, you you saw Reese talk about it. You beat South Carolina. You were talking trash. That's our league. You know, that's the big part of this. Everybody's here defending their league. Everybody's here talking about their league. And it's the Big East are saying that. The Big West are saying, hey, we deserve more teams in ACC is like, hey, we're the best. Everyone is constantly doing that. And uh, credit to LSU and their staff, Kim Mulkey and them, national champions again, and well-deserved to play the hell of a game. As far as the trash talk and everything else, I'm here for it. Randolph Childress is with us here. Getting further into trash talk and what you noted there with leagues and such, we heard our guy T.O. giving it to Jeff Goodman a little bit from the field of 68. How much has Randolph Childress, you know, followed suit as a tag team partner and giving it to Jeff a little bit for the mid-major oh, comments. I'm really in the race with that. Like, I don't want to hear that from Jeff. Jeff knows that. See, Jeff knows who to pick with and who's to talk to about that kind of stuff. He can't come to me with any of that that foolishness that he talks about 
mid-major leagues and all this crap. I'm like, man, get out of here. Historically, you know, it, it's it's without a question. And um, we had Bayheim on yesterday, and we talked about it, and he he was great, you know, seeing him and talking to him about that. But, you know, Jeff is Jeff, and he, he likes to stir the pot a little bit with certain things, and uh, he's formed his opinion. And I, I, I respectfully disagree. And I think it's the best league. I did, I did it, you know, people want to compare it to a time when I played or as recent as so many years ago. We only got five teams in. I think the league is better than most think. And I don't think some of these other leagues is as strong as they believe that they are. So I think overall we'll 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 figure this out. And I think the league will make steps and strides and get back to playing great basketball and get even Carolina for that matter, get in the tournament again next year. Tying it back to the national title game. We'll close things out with this. Randolph Childress joining us on WSJS from Houston. This statistically, historically, UConn seems like a dominant team in this tournament. Unlike many we've seen, you look at uh, the history of the tournament since expanding to uh, 64 in 1985 there are only five or six teams that have won all their games by double digits getting to this point. Right. It doesn't feel right to compare them to 2001 Duke or 2009 They're North not. Carolina They're when not. you consider guys aren't sticking around the same way, the transfer portal, chemistry, all of that. But it does remind me of a team that you don't you just don't want to be in their way, like 2018 Villanova even, that right. was dominant the entire way. How far are you willing to go in talking about the level of dominance we've seen from this UConn team, especially if they win tonight and win by double digits. I, I think it's one of the more dominant seasons. I don't think you'll ever get the, the credit that they deserve in comparison. We have, we talked to Tyler Hansborough about that with his team, but he has seven NBA guys on that roster with him. I don't think we're going to see that with this team in particular, but uh, their domination has been, it's been nothing but fun to watch and you see it and you just have to say, I, I, I'm not – I would say I'm surprised with that. I actually favored Miami going into the game because I actually thought Miami's path to the tournament was more impressive than who they, they beat. I thought their opponents was even more difficult, and they, they showed they could come back. And But listen, you can't take anything from UConn. Um, they are dominating everyone in their way. They're doing it on the defensive end. They're controlling the paint on both ends of the floor. They're making their opponents one-dimensional, and they're, they're steamrolling everybody right now. But I do think tonight's game – San Diego State physically matches up with them, and I think that's that's a big difference, and other teams may not have been able to do that. They're not a great shooting team, but they got shot makers and playmakers, and so they're going to need someone else to step up of, of the guard play to help. Um, they got to control the place. If this game is in the 60s, um, low 70s, then I think it'll be a very good game. If it gets up beyond that, I think UConn may run away with it. But is UConn a blue blood, though? If they win, I, I push back on it. And the UConn fans, this is part of the reason my voice is this way, because I've been arguing with UConn fans all night, all the last <laughs> couple of days. Like, and, uh, So first they were mad at me. Now we've kind of kissed and made up, so I think we're good. We're friends again. They like me again. But I will say this. I, I said no before, and I, and I meant that. But if they win this and close this out, then the conversation is open, and I think you really have to consider them with, for their fifth title, three different coaches in the last, what, 20, 25 years. That, that's impressive. And – I may have to say, you know, UConn's a blue blood. If we're going to consider Villanova a blue blood like a year ago or some of these other teams that we what that we do outside of Kentucky, Kansas, and Duke, then you have to consider UConn right at the top of the list. Randolph, you do so much to help us out. Let us help you out a little bit. See, you're, this is year two of you in the broadcast game? It is. So you got a little bit of a, of a 
you know, tired voice right now, a little bit hoarse. Has anyone given you the perfect recipe yes. for how to remedy this? They have not. Okay. Get some get yourself some warm water, some hot water. Honey, hook yourself up okay, with that. I'll write this down. Yeah, this is important actually. And I don't know if you're big on spicy food, but find the spiciest of food you can find so that way you can, you know, it, it just does good stuff for the throat. Hot food and uh, hot water with honey, and you'll be ready to go hours from now for tip. You're welcome, Randolph Children. Well, I'm going to have to pass on the spicy food. I already got one in. It's bothering me coming out of one end. If my body gets some spicy food, I'll be hurting at the other end. So we're going to pass on that one. I'm going to have to just drink hot water and honey, my friend. Randolph Childress, thank you so much for the time, my friend. Have a great game tonight. Appreciate you spending the time. Appreciate you having me, Josh. Check this out. We're on at five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with The Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. We'll attach letter grades to the sports weekend in about 15 minutes in a segment we call Graham's Grades. But speaking of things from over the weekend, there are good April Fool's jokes and there are bad April Fool's jokes. And locally, we saw examples of each. I don't know who was the first air quote media outlet to do this on Saturday, but more than a couple did the Caleb Love has committed to Duke joke. Uh huh. And number one, it didn't really fool many people because anybody who follows basketball knows that wouldn't happen, not just for Caleb and for Duke. But also, I don't think Duke has the room to add Caleb Love to its roster. So it was absurd on its face. The only people who were duped by it are people that really didn't know college basketball that maybe watch in the month of March, and that's it. And they're thinking, oh, Caleb Love. Oh, he's a Blue Devil now. I'm just so distracted by baseball. Guess what, WD? They hit another home run. San Francisco has hit like four home runs in this half inning. I'm watching random baseball games now. You are. I'm so excited that the season's here. Your 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 ways has has worked out of watching. And it. I've watched a lot of the Chicago <laughs> White Sox because I like Jason Benetti, who used to be the voice of the Winston Salem Dash way back when. Yep. And he's just really good. And uh, in addition to that, they had a lot of guys who played for the Winston Salem Dash. So watching them and this guy's just getting shelled and cursing into his glove. That's always one of my favorites. I love that. When you curse into your glove so people can't read your lips. Yep. Yeah, four home runs in an inning. That's that's tough. Just a couple of blowouts going on right now. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Caleb, Caleb Love. Love. That's uh, not a great April Fool's joke. Related, I was walking around with Willow at Salem College. I live in the old Salem area, and we stumbled upon a proposal on Saturday beautiful day i saw this i had a conversation with this couple before and they had their dog with them too and i thought it was a little bit of a jerk move by the guy not to want to have their dog meet my dog so i just let them walk away a little bit and then i followed where they were headed because we were going to the same grassy area with the rotunda that they have at salem college and then i saw me and willow saw he was on one knee so i gave him a break <laughs> this guy was 
He was planning something a little bit bigger than worrying about his dog meeting Willow. So congrats to that couple if you might be listening to the show. But I did have the thought, proposing to your girlfriend on April Fool's Day is a choice. It's not a choice I would ever make. Then again, Roy Williams retired on April Fool's Day. And this is the problem with, the rightfully so, people believing the Caleb Love stuff because Roy Williams ruined this. He it's did. Like, he decided to troll us all. And be like, you know what? I'm going to retire, and they're going to think. I feel so bad for their PR guy, yeah. who's one of the best guys in the business, Steve Kirshner, <laughs> yeah. who was blown up with text and had to put in the release in all caps, underlined, with like a highlighter. It's highlighted. This is not an April Fool's joke. Right. And people oh. still blew up his phone saying, is it an April Fool's joke? Uh, so that's a bad April Fool's joke. Usher, meanwhile, in Raleigh at Dreamville Saturday night, might have had the best April Fool's joke. You know, I don't know if you guys listened to some of the interviews that I did before we decided to do this show, but as promised, I said I would have a a special surprise for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You guys want to know what that surprise is? Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Put your hands together for the one, the only, Beyonce. April Fools. (laughs) Perfect execution. (laughs) Oh, it's fantastic. And by the way, he walked around the stage. Where is she? Uh, where is she? Pretending. And the audience was completely fooled by it. Yeah. Oh, that's a perfect April Fool's joke. Keep in mind, I had, because we're on a radio show, I had to edit out like so much of the audience noise there that was like maybe a minute long of them just. They were all in. They believed Usher. They did. I mean, he was pretending to ask somebody behind stage that probably wasn't even there. Like, Where's she at? Is she okay? <laughs> so good. I don't, I don't mind no, it. I don't mind it. No, I don't either. It's a fantastic uh, April Fool's joke. Have you ever been seriously duped on April Fool's Day? Maybe when I was younger and it was more gullible. I can't remember what it was. but I remember I was in college and I was driving my first car, a 98 Ford Explorer. It's my first car. And my mom messaged me and said, Josh, I think it's about time that you get out of this 98 Ford Explorer. We want to help you get something else. And I'm in my head thinking, thank goodness, this car barely runs. Oh, my God. So I responded, you don't have to do that, was my response. (laughs) And she hit me back with April Fool's. Don't worry. I'm not doing it. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Dreamville, man, I... For those who don't know what FOMO means, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out, I felt that this morning. More than I felt in a while following our guy B-Dot, six man of Carolina basketball, following his IG live stories. And I knew it was a big lineup that they had, J. Cole putting on this show, and Drake's there, and Usher's there. All of that was fine. Oh, a little Uzi Vert showed up. Kevin Harlem probably super psyched about that. But then when Lil Wayne pops out 
in the middle of a song and he's playing a Millie. And that's the moment where the thought crossed my mind of, I was walking Willow this morning and I saw some videos of that. And I thought, man, I wish I was there. Oh, I really wish I was there. Because uh, that sounds like such a great show. And what a year for Raleigh. You hosted the stadium series game and it was fantastic. Very well run. And now you have this, which seems like a reoccurring thing. Is that right? I don't know much about Greenville. I, I think it happens once a year, once every few other year, maybe. I'm not a sh I'm not sure on the detail, but it is a regular thing. Fantastic. Uh, and I hope it gets bigger and bigger. One of these years, I'll have to go since I was born outside of Raleigh. And, you know, really cool how that thing shook out. I know Permar was there. We'll play Skips or Plays with Hayes on tomorrow's show. Speaking of the Carolina Hurricanes, though, I'm starting to become optimistic. Optimism was at an all-time low for me on Friday. I was saying that their Stanley Cup hopes are dead and all that. And then they went back-to-back. -back. They beat the Canadians, who aren't good. They beat the Islanders, who are okay. Probably the team they're going to be playing in round one. So I started to get optimistic again, WD, and I, I've developed a path to the Stanley Cup for the Hurricanes. Like, they need breaks. With their goaltending situation, how inconsistent it's been, with Svechnikov being out, they, they need some specific things to happen. It has to be a path for them in order to get there. Like, things have to break their way. Number one, they need to win the Metro Division. And the good news is that should happen. The Canes only have six games left. They have a game in hand on the New Jersey Devils who are chasing them. They're three games up, or three points up, excuse me, and they don't play any world beaters the rest of the way. So Carolina should be able to hold off New Jersey the rest of the way to win the Metro Division, which means they'll get the Islanders in round one, meaning the other side of the Metro, the Devils, will play the Rangers. You don't have to play either of those teams in round one. They have to play each other. You hope that's a long series, and your series is short, so you're more rested. That's number one. But number two, you, I think they need the Rangers to win that. I think in a seven-game series, the, the cream rises to the top. Whereas, I mean, come on, commit to the bit. The cream rises to the top, right? And I think the Devils are better than the Rangers are, and I think the Devils might be slightly better than the Canes are. Canes and Rangers, that feels like a toss-up. I think Carolina can win, especially on home ice against the Rangers. I don't know if they can against the Devils. So I think you might need the Rangers to win that series, which feels like a toss-up. And then you need some bracket luck. You need Boston to get upset in either round one or round two by whomever they're playing. Boston. You need that to happen. And it could happen. Like, remember Tampa was so dominant a few years ago, and then they got swept in round one by Columbus? The playoffs can work that way. So if Boston loses round one or round Boston. two, then I feel good about Carolina's chances against any of the other teams on that side. Then you're in the Stanley Cup, and I think the West is a lot easier of a you know a crop of teams to face than you face in your own conference, the Eastern Conference. Other than Vegas, nobody scares me out West. So I've talked myself into it. You need you need some bracket luck. You you need to finish things off in the Metro. But there is a path for Carolina now, which is a lot different than the way I sounded on Friday. It is. You sound like you had a I'm epiphany. a fan. I'm a fan.
<laughs> so I act emotionally when it comes to the Canes. I'm uh -huh. a fan of two teams, the Orioles and the Canes. And I might be a little bit emotional on different sides of the spectrum with them. That's why I'm a little bit more reliable on college basketball, college football, the Panthers, or whatever, because I'm not so much emotionally attached to it. To recap the weekend, we'll attach letter grades to it and Graham's grades next on The Drive. You're on The Drive with Josh WSJS. Before we get to the grades, it's a small sample size, but meaningful nonetheless. Jeff Passan just tweeted this out from ESPN. Here are how the first four days of the Major League Baseball season stack up with the first four days of last year's baseball season. 50 games in 23, 49 and 22. The average length of game last year three hours and nine minutes, the average length of game over the last four days in those 50 games we've seen thus far in 23, two hours and 38 minutes, a 31 minute difference. Batting 2023, 245 average. 2022, 230, 15 point difference. Stolen bases, 70 out of 84 attempts, Successful, 83% rate. 2022, 29 of 43, a 67% rate. Two out of every three. But the most important part about that, 41 more stolen bases attempts in the first four games this year versus the first four games last year. More guys on the move. More action, more urgency. The games, they're quicker. And in terms of violations... We saw 40 violations of the pitch clock. That's, I think, four out of every five game, we saw one. Four out of every five, we saw one violation. And that's, again, the first four days. Guys are going to adjust. I think this is really good for Major League Baseball. I really do. Some were complaining about it. Baseball should never be on a clock. And, oh, man, kids, like, what? I mean, who really cares? Kids will play video games until one in the morning or what? This is good. If a game starts at 7 and there's reasonable confidence that it's going to be over by 10 o'clock, families will feel comfortable bringing their kids out to the ballpark in the middle of the week or might want to watch the games on television and be more engaged in it. I know it's made an impact on me. I've loved what I've seen the last few days. Let's recap the rest of what we saw over the weekend in Graham's grades right now. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. We don't need no education. Who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Hey, Time for Graham's grades. A through F. The very good to the meh. To the not so good, starting with A. UConn basketball. Rolling Miami. I know the final score ended up being 13 points. It wasn't even as close as that, as we all watched. Their average margin of victory through the five tournament games they've played thus far 20.6 points per win. 
They are just the sixth team since the tournament expanded in 1985 to win their first five games all by double digits getting to this point. Truly dominant at every stage of the tournament leading to tonight's national championship game where they're a seven and a half point favorite against San Diego State. B. The FAU San Diego State finish. Huh? Josh, there are more points than we thought we'd get in this game. It ended at the buzzer. How is this only a B? The final six and a half minutes was exactly what we thought the first 34 and a half minutes were going to be, or the first 33 and a half minutes, if I could do a little math on the air. It wasn't very good down the stretch. I think combined, both teams made two, maybe three shots in the final six and a half. So it really got bogged down late, but there was a lot of scoring in the first half and it was a close game. And you have that memorable moment at the end with the buzzer beater hitting the shot. But even on that possession, it was sloppy. It didn't look like something good was going to come out of it. This is something I want to talk with Randolph Childress about, what he was thinking being in the building, watching that possession, whether or not he thought that he was going to be able, Butler, to rise and fire the way that he did. It's something we're going to remember, two mid-majors playing in the Final Four and a buzzer-beating shot at that level, too. It's a B. C. Jim Valvano being inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. You might also question, Josh, why is this a C? It sounds like good news. What took so long? <laughs> like, if you would have asked me going into the weekend, hey, is Jim Valvano in the Basketball Hall of Fame? Yeah. What? Why even have a Basketball Hall of Fame if Jim Valvano is not in it? WD, how many? There are four other. Let me double check this. There are three other NC State Basketball Hall of Famers can you name any of them? Jim Valvano is the fourth. Is Bones McKinney one of them? <laughs> Bones McKinney, who flipped from NC State to North Carolina and then coached Wake Forest. Not who we were thinking uh, of here. Kay Yow, the legendary mm. women's coach. Everett Case who is one of the more iconic and influential figures in all of college basketball history, you could argue created the league, and the best player in college basketball history, or at least ACC history, David Thompson. Jim Valvano, the fourth. And it's bittersweet because obviously he's not here with us. And, you know, it's been 30 years, but how this man's not already in the Basketball Hall of Fame enough to knock what is inevitably or certainly great news a couple of pegs to a C. It's a little lukewarm. D. D. The Women's National Championship game. Great weekend for the women. And, you know, for the sport in general, you had all these storylines and people were talking about the merits of sportsmanship and these star players like Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark and you had a huge upset and South Carolina going down on Friday night, but the championship game never really felt like it was in town. You know, like the officiating is being discussed and sportsmanship's being discussed because the game wasn't interesting enough to be discussed on its merits. Like, what else are you going to say if you're not talking about the officiating or Angel Reese slash Caitlin Clark today? You're just going to talk about the fact that LSU hit a million threes and blew out 
Iowa? We gonna talk about how great Kim Mulkey is? I don't know about that. Maybe we could talk about her outfits, but it's a D because of how the game actually turned out. It wasn't the result that we wanted and it being as a lopsided game, the officiating piece of it being a discussion point and sportsmanship being a discussion point. Not really the topics you want coming out of a championship game. It's good that you're being talked about, but not the greatest topics because the game wasn't so great. F. Being a Baltimore Orioles fan this weekend, <laughs> I might sit down for this. Have a seat, buddy. The Orioles lost two out of three against the Red Sox. Which you might think, Josh, what's the big deal? The Orioles are in Finway and the the way they lost on Saturday still hurts me this moment. I'm cooking dinner Saturday night. Got the game on. And there's a fly ball that's hit the left field with two outs. Lazy fly ball, no one on base. The Orioles are up by a run. And I don't even know the guy's first name. McKenna, who was not in the lineup yesterday, and I don't think I was a, co- a coincidence. He gets underneath the ball, does not see the ball all the way into his glove, drops third out. I had my hand extended in the air in my kitchen as if somebody was watching except my dog Willow and thinking that the game was over and then 30 seconds later next guy steps to the plate, hits a home run to left field and the Orioles lose on a walk-off home run by a run. Nuked it. Didn't nuke it. It, yeah, it was a foot. It. it was a foot. Oh, you Orioles. He drilled that nah, ball. Nah, he drilled the ball but it cleared the fence by a foot to the point where it didn't even get to the fans it banged off like the 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 this little area between the top of the wall and where the fans are at and went back out onto the field so it barely cleared the wall too you blew it it's very painful i'm in pain today Mm -hmm. tough spent the entire weekend hanging out with willow though it's been good Teaching her not to bite things. I don't know how to do that. Like every website says, don't punish your dog. I'm like, well, what if the dog's in the wrong? Yeah, what if Well, it doesn't know it's wrong. So can the dog ever be wrong? Well, punishment is supposed to, not bad punishment, but just like, you know, like teaching it. Like that's not good. Right, but how do you teach that is what I'm learning right now. We're in the process of that. Because I'm pro-positive reinforcement, but the dog's not knowing what it's doing is bad. Take her little milkshake away. Take her toys away. <laughs> but then... Toy privileges. I don't know. I think some would even say that's too harsh. Oh, please. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. We watched some movies. I rewatched Moneyball, which you'll be watching this week for the first time. I rewatched Inception yesterday. Sarah Bradford struggled to follow that one for a little while, and then she looks at her watch. What time is it? There's still an hour and 45 minutes left in this movie. I'm out. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a long movie and a, and a head twister. But that's been Graham's grades. 